Our Father, who was in heaven. Lord, be thy name. Our kingdom come. Our will be done. Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. In this episode, we talk with Hakeem, the golden child, Tate. Hakeem is a rapper, a children's author, and a police officer in Washington, D.C. You're going to love this episode. Hakeem is a really solid dude, and he talks to us about all of the hot topics that we're dealing with today, including policing in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I ask him about white privilege. We get his take on um, what it takes to be a good police officer in every community and uh, what it means to him to be a father and the role that he plays in there. Guys, this thing is chock full of gold nuggets. You're going to love it. Hey, Hakeem, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. So um, why don't you go ahead and, and fill in the audience I was a little surprised when I said, hey, what do you do for a living? And I, I think you had about a list of four things. So um, go ahead and fill us in what, what you're up to these days. Yeah. So currently, I um, uh, just released a new book called Papa Never Let Us Down. Uh, it's uh, this, the third book in the series of The Twins Adventures. Um, so I just released that book and that came out on Father's Day. Um, I'm also a writer, so when I say writer, meaning like music-wise and, uh, you know, deal with production. So I produced a song with my nephew, and that was for, you know, fatherhood and, you know, fathers and kind of encouragement. We don't have songs out there really that, you know, give us the attributes and stuff that we need. And then my day job, my nine to five, is law enforcement. I'm a cop uh, in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Been uh, patrolling and doing community work and um, community policing for sixteen, almost seventeen years. November be seventeen years, so you know a lifetime for some teenagers. But you know, yeah, yeah seventeen years now. Right on. Yeah. So the book is what drew my attention. Like you posted on our our group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. You reading an excerpt? I'm assuming to your son. Was yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's my son. He's okay. uh his name's Helene. He's five years old, and uh, he actually t- took my uh, my twin brother's name, who passed away um, when we were just teenagers. So, um, you know, he's a junior, but not a junior. <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, I was reading the book. Um, I reading the book to him, and uh, it's funny because every time he uh, has a chance to tell somebody about the book, he say, "Hey, that's me. That's me." Because one of the twins in the book name is of course Helene. So you know he carries that name. So that's me. I mean, this is my book. This is my book. So. You know, it's always fun when the next book comes out because he gets excited about reading about the adventures of the twins. So, yeah. yeah. How, how old is he? How old is Helene right now? Yeah. So he's five years old. He's okay. Five, yeah. 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 His excitement when he was like repeating what you were saying, I was like, that is so cool. Yeah. So uh, like, what's your, I mean, you, you said your brother passed away. So why don't you go ahead and kind of let us in on this, the story there. Oh man. So, um, you know, uh, for many of us, uh, cancer has, in for the past, I guess, a decade or so or more, cancer has been a tough thing for for many of us to deal with. So my twin brother, he was only at the age of, I want to say 16. Yeah, 16, and he uh, passed away from cancer. Um, and at that time, I didn't know what it was that hit us. Um, so, you know, I'm the second the youngest of 10 brothers and sisters. Wow. All same mom and dad, man. So you can imagine the household, yeah. man. <laughs> and so, you know, you can imagine the household. You know, some of my brothers and sisters, they were out in college as I, you know, became a teen and stuff like that. But being a kid, man, it was 10 of us, three stories in the basement. Um, you know, one of uh, the notorious areas in Washington, D.C. that was uh, crime ridden, if you want to call um, it, you know, it was, it was yeah. a hood, you oh. know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we grew up in the hood, but you know, my mom and dad, they did everything that they could to give us proper education and um, encouragement to be more than, you know, what we actually saw. So yeah, my twin brother passed away, man, you know, as a teenager, and that was a tough thing to deal with, but you know, like writing about it um, now and the fun times and sharing the stories with my son, man, it's, it, it, it's, it's like, you know how you had that favorite cousin 
And yeah. you remember maybe uh, playing hide and go seek, you know, or playing a prank or something. You know, those are the type of things and stories and stuff that I would, if my twin brother was here, I would share with him. You know, we would laugh and joke about or probably have a drink with, you know, drink about now and talk about, but, you know, he's passed on. So I can share with my son and, you know, he'll hear the stories and also um, put some of those fabulous stories in the books. And so as adults, as we read them, we kind of remember some of the things that we used to do when we were kids and the interactions that we would have with our parents. Um, and the last book being uh, Papa Never Let Us Down, that was interactions that I had with my dad or those father figures that were, you know, uncles and, you know, big brothers that were, you know, stepped in in our life and filled in those spots where, you know, our fathers may have not, you know. Dude, that's so, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So being a twin, I mean, you know, everything I hear is that there's a really tight bond, like, you know, yeah. because you have this, this person that you were born with and you've walked through every step of life with. So is that, yeah. is it that bond that, and the experience that caused you, like, I want to write, like, what was the, what was the catalyst for writing a book kind of commemorating you and your brothers growing up together? Yeah. So it, it was, it was, it was, a um, it was a tough decision to do, or it was tough to get back in because, uh, letting the, um, letting the cat out of the bag, um, me and my twin brother, we, we wrote raps when we were kids. You know, we went to the Boys and Girls Clubs and performed. We actually had a deal with Universal uh, Universal Records as kids, like right before Criss Cross he came out. No so, way. You, know, you remember, you remember Criss Cross? You weren't you wearing know? your pants backwards, were you? Jump, jump. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, so you remember that time oh, yeah. when, when those things were happening and we were writing music and, um, you know, rap songs and... At the time, we got into writing, writing rap songs because my mom heard us rapping uh, N.W.A. And I don't know if I could. Well, it's, it was the world's biggest. No matter, just don't. You know, if you could fill in the blanks yeah. <laughs> between the yeah. lines, she remember that song. Yeah. And she was just not for it. You know what I mean? We, we lived in the hood, but my mom was conscious and my dad was conscious enough to know that they didn't want us, you know, our minds to be filled with that type of uh, lyrics. So they had us writing positive. When I say positive raps, positive raps, man. And um, so my papa never let me down. That was inspired by a song I wrote almost 20 years ago. And the lyrics to that, my papa never let me down. He always picked me up and pushed me on. And my brothers and sisters and even cousins kept me going. So, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the song was always in my mind and in my heart, even from a time when I was, you know, just a kid, wow. you know, you know, talking about what my father was to me, you know? Yeah. And, um, I took it and, you know, I put it in the book and those things being the father kind of just stuck with me when it came my turn to be a dad to my daughter and to my uh, son, Helene. So, you know, that's what kind of sparked the book, but it was tough. Like writing, you can imagine doing something with somebody for such a long period of time. You know, you came in the world with them, you guys shared the same passion of writing and music and rhythmic and, you know, keep in mind that the book, uh, Papa Never Let Us Down, it's a rhythmic book. So, you know, you like reading those Dr. Seuss books. It's catchy. You know, kids pick up on it and they enjoy reading it. It's an easy read. So, you know, it, it was tough to do it because it was kind of like one of those favorite pastimes. Right. But, you know, understanding what was needed, you know, it, yeah, I just kind of buckled down and just did it, man. So what's your, what's your, like, when you think, okay, I want my books out in the hands of the people because like what's your like like driving force or underlying like i want people to know this oh man i want people to know i want people to be encouraged especially fathers man um and be encouraged because it's so often like the song that i wrote um it's also it's called good poppers right mm -hmm. so it ties into the book it says it, it's a my favorite line in this particular song is, I'm more than a baby daddy. You better believe it. You know, so it's so often that um, men in, in relationships, they don't get the, I don't want to say credit, but they have, we have, we have an important job as, as, as men, you know, in fatherhood, you know. And um, I'm putting the book out and the song out to keep us encouraged and to remind us of what our, our task is because we get so much negative uh, imagery and media of, of men 
and how much of fathers we are, even down to the point where sometimes for Father's Day, they'll tell a woman that's a single mother, happy Father's Day, you know. So just kind of trying to fill that void by putting this book out and encouraging those men to take the time to read to their kids, you know, because to oh, me, man. you know, time is time is an important thing, man. And, you know, being a baby daddy and providing child support and money, I mean, that's cool and everything. But the time that we put into our kids and that we invest into them is more important. And a simple 15 minute book read every single night to your kid, whether it's the Twins Adventures, Papa Never Let Us Down, God Bless the Mother, or the Twins Adventures, or Race Before Officer Friendly, grab a book and let's take the time and read to them because they're going to forever remember that. And it becomes muscle memory to them and to, to you when it comes to passing on that 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 sacred time of reading and understanding and having a conversation with your kids, yeah. you know? So that yeah. was my whole reason for putting out the book to, you know, encourage fathers to continue to be, you know, the good dads that they are. That is so cool. And I love you, you brought up something that it, 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 we had in a conversation that hasn't come out in a podcast yet, but a, a dad was uh -huh. sharing his, his experience as, the one who needed to put the kids down and the terror that was occurring and the, and the, and the, the struggle of these hours of this, cause they're con going from a crib to a bed and you know, the, the nightmare ensuing. And I'm thinking the one thing that we did and in another podcast, we talked about this is reading the same story or a very similar mm -hmm. story every night is the last, yeah. like that was the cue. That's it's time. And yeah. you just brought that up. It's like, read one of these every night. And I love that it has a rhythmic pat pattern, like a, like, you know, because you come from that rap writing background, which is incredible. Like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be a perfect segue to bedtime. Not only are you reading something that's rhythmic, you're also talking about a very important concept. We have no user's manual as a father. No, right. No. And you're right. Yeah. And we're not, our kids aren't going to be great fathers and great mothers unless we intentionally teach them how. And yep. it sounds kind of like that's kind of what you're doing through your book. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. And, and just, just in, in saying that, I remember, um, you know, my, my first child, my daughter, she's 19 now. And I remember getting her mom a maternity book yep. and then another book about motherhood. <laughs> you know, that's common. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But you tell me the time where you walk past the kitchen table and you saw a fatherhood book, <laughs> you know, yeah. of any kind. Right. You know, it's, it's just not common. The experience, the experience of fatherhood is the up and down, the relationship between the child, the mother, um, and the kids. It's, it's really not shared as much as it could be. And this is just a soft approach to it. This is a children's book, you know, so it's a really soft approach to it. But it's something that, like, puts the light bulb light light bulb in our head to, to make us, you know, remember, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. This this is this, this is something I should do. You know? So yeah. It's a it's a it's a you you can probably imagine that I'm one hundred percent on board with this message. Because <laughs> like, you know, this whole thing, this whole movement or whatever you want to call it that we started, this group that we've started, the podcast we started is because, you know, I had a great father growing up who had a great gave me a great example, but we still struggle through it. And then men don't talk about it. We, we just don't, oh. we don't have the books. We don't talk about it. And I'm like, yeah. Josh and I are like, we're done with that. Like we right. need to bring this message out. We need to tell men need to know what they need to do. Like, you just gotta know. Um, yeah. So I love this approach and, and tell me about God bless mother. Was, was that your first book? So, yeah, that was the first book, God Bless the Mother. And um, that was, you know, mother's the birth of things. So, you know, it was only right for me to to birth my my entry into, you know, uh, being an author with that particular book. And so um, and in that book, it, it talks about, um, you know, God bless the mother, getting up every day, getting the kids out to play and started on their way to school in the morning with a full and sufficient meal, with a good meal deal. Good is how they feel. So it's rhythmic. It's easy to read. It has a nice approach to it. And it reminds the mother, no matter how informed or how least informed that they are, in the most tender manner as possible, what their task is. Get the kid up. Get them out. Get them to school. Nourish them. Give them a good meal. You know what I mean? And the kid gets it. Oh, that's what mommy does. You know what right. I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was the first book. And that was, uh, that was, yeah, that was fun. 
well. And um, that also came with uh, uh, a song as well called God Bless the Mother. It's on iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify, all, all of over the place. Because, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, music is music is important, man. Music transcends. It's like, to me, it's the universal language. So, you know, you put it in music and it's, and it's, um, you know, it's rhythmic and, you know, people pick up on it. So, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to do both, you know, you know, I wanted to do both. So I got both of them out there. That's, that's incredible. So you're, you and your brother, let's, uh, you said earlier that you guys actually had a deal with a record label. Yes. And yep. Did that ever go anywhere or did, or did life kind of get no. in the way? Yeah, so my twin brother had uh passed away, you know, yeah. at sixteen and that that, yeah. that really yeah, that took everything for for a turn. So you can imagine what my life was at the age of sixteen, man. And uh soon thereafter, you know, the um you know, I had my daughter the following year, seventeen, you know, and so, so you were you know, life got tough. Yeah, I was young, man. I was young and um if I didn't have my uncles, like my second dad, he stepped in. Man, wow. he stepped in and he showed. When I say showed me, you know, he and his wife would uh would take trips and um you know had a nice home and uh you know she would get up and pack my lunch and send me out to school and that was like for a moment it was a culture shock shock because that wasn't typically what I was used to. I was used to my mom, um you know, being uh, at work all the time because yeah. you know my dad was away and um you know, she had to pay the bills. So I didn't get the attention and stuff that my auntie gave me as my mother figure. So just, you know, understanding those dynamics and going through that period of life, it kind of had, it, it, all of those things inspired me to say, man, I got to get this message out. I got to help people understand the importance of communicating what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed yeah. to feel like what it's supposed to look like so that they can duplicate it and give these kids a chance to do the same for the generations to come, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah. incredible. And, and I think we need more of it. Like we need more people really taking a stance and, and sending that message out. Do you feel heard? Do you feel like you've like, like, you know, this is a struggle. Writing a book is not an easy thing and getting it out there. And uh, it was a it was a lot of red tape, and um, one of the things for me that uh, that I think I had to get over was um, understanding why I did it. You know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people do things for for money, you know, and for fame. But you know, I had a taste of fame when I was just sixteen. <laughs> you right. know, right. but I say we were doing it. We were we were hitting the newspapers, and you know, we were flying out to uh, um um uh, um. Uh, Nevada, you know, the Las Vegas and meeting uh, Clive Davis. And, you know, we, we were we were doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. having a taste of fame was it, it was good. So I think that that prepared me to understand that it's not necessary. And, um, you know, having a consistent job and um, getting a check every two weeks prepared me to understand that okay, you don't have to do this um, considering that you want to, uh, you don't have to, I don't have to do this considering that, you know, a big check is going to, you know, going to be on the way. I'm going to sell right. a million books. If I sold 10 books and I had 10 people who were to say, man, this was awesome. My kid loved it. And then that kid grew up and wanted to read that to their kids. And I'm happy because I know that 10 people got it, you know, and I helped in some way. So, yeah. um, that's what makes it a little easier for me. Cause it's not, it's not like, uh, now, some people set the bar really, really high and they tell themselves that success is selling a million books. Well, I didn't tell myself that success is selling a million books. I told myself that success is getting my message out there and sharing what I know and what I understand and what I've been through and what I believe with other people, whether it's 100 or whether it's 10. And so, so far, so good, man. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I, I think... Uh that's a really good recipe for, for being fulfilled for, with what you're doing. So, um, let's, uh, so it, it would be, it would be crazy for me not to, uh, bring up one of the books, which it's not pulling up for me, but you have one, um, about, was it about a police officer? Yeah. The twins of, that was the second book, the twins adventures and race with officer friendly. Okay. Yes. So tell me about yeah. that book. 
so that book was um so that book was uh that book was like right on time i was going through a tough time at work mm-hmm. and um i was standing standing up for something that i believed in and um it almost cost me my, my job but even through all of that and um you know even through all of that i still had uh, a passion to show what i believe that a relationship between the community and the police officer should look like and that's exactly what's displayed in that book in that book i wanted to show that this officer is uh but we've been to the community he lives there um in the same uh if you want to call it a neighborhood or cul-de-sac he lives there in the same cul-de-sac as the twins and the twins are outside and you know they have a flag and they want to have a race and they he uh officer friendly and they asked officer friendly hey can you hold the flag and by the way can nikki you know his daughter come out and race you know and so right there the twins and nikki are in the same age group so that officer has uh, uh a greater responsibility for these twins because guess what if these twins are hanging out with his daughter <laughs> he wants to know that these kids are as good as his kids right you know yeah <laughs> and and so you know how it is we we we, we have we have kids and it's nothing worse than the idea of our kids hanging out with the baddest kid on the block. Right. We want our kids to hang out with good kids or kids with, you know, like-minded morals and, you know, right. uh, uh, thought processes. And so that was important to show that connection and show his responsibility that yo, he lived in that neighborhood. And yeah, he held the flag girl that lived in the neighborhood named Alicia, you know, so they all can race. He held the flag, you know, they had a great race. You know, one of the girls won that race. And, you know, whenever I do a book reading, you know, kids always get excited. Oh, did the boys win? Did the girls win? So you get here. Oh, no, the boys won. The girls won. Yeah, right. It's always fun. You know, it's always fun to see the reaction of the the healthy competition. And at the end of the book, um, you know, you see that they were good sports, you know, even though they, you know, some of them lost. They're like, yo, can't wait to race again. I'm going to be faster next time. One of the kids uh, said, hey, I'm going to be the chief of police one day. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it just transcends them into understanding that uh, it's okay. You can be you can be in law enforcement and still be human. You don't have to be non-approachable. You know, you don't have to run from the police. You can run to them. And they can hold the flag because they want you to win. You know what I mean? So all of those... Uh, all of those messages are subliminally placed into that book to give kids an understanding at an early age and adults that, you know, every single police officer isn't bad. Right. And in my opinion, they should have a direct connection to that community. They should be here today and gone tomorrow because here today and gone tomorrow means that you really don't have any self-responsibility for that particular area that you're serving, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day by Joe Rogan and he was talking with um, a gun rights guy who was uh-huh. a, um, a lawyer and very well known and gun rights black. And he was talking about like, there's, there's something that we're missing is that the police officers should be required to be a part of their community. And it made me think, um, it made me think because I live in a suburb where it's not real life. I mean, honestly, it's, yeah. it, it's yeah. just not the real world. And our uh-huh. police here are extremely interactive. If there's kids skateboarding, like, yeah. and, you know, usually police come and shoot them off. I, I have literally yeah. drove by multiple times and the police are on the skateboards. And the, the, wow. the fact that speaks so much more like if they could get on the skateboard and show them that they can ollie or whatever it is and then say hey guys the owner here is trying to do business so let's move it and then they'll be like oh sure right that community that that relationship now i do live in a in an unreal world compared to where you are or some of where the big (laughs) happenings are but we can't ignore that hakeem you are a you are a black male you are a police officer in a time where those two things are at the forefront of everything right now. And um, so I, first of all, I want to lift you up because I Mm -hmm. obviously, but you know, I I follow you on Instagram and and Facebook. I don't know if I have you on Instagram. I meant to get you on Instagram on Facebook. And like, I see this video 
and it's you, I believe it's you and a, and a kid in the community and you're, and you're doing, you just, it looks like you just kind of went out and started playing football or, or did some, some moves with him. Was that you? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my, that was my coworker. He actually, uh, his name, well, we call him Speedy. Oh, that kid didn't know that fast. we called him Speedy. Yeah. <laughs> and so all oh, that kid, so it was a Carl Winslow from Family Matters. That's all he saw <laughs> when he seen the uniform and this black cop. Yeah. And so the kid was out there just throwing the football, you know, and, uh, you know, throwing the football in the air and kind of kicking it around and stuff. Other guys, his name is uh, Stuart. They, um, you know, you know, they put their hands up and the kid threw the ball to him. And everything took off from there, you know. Yeah. And so uh, the kid was saying, hey, man, um, you know, I, I, I bet I can take you. And when the kid is told Speedy, he didn't know his name was Speedy. And so he told uh, Speedy, yo, I, I bet I can take you. And uh, so Speedy, uh, um, Officer uh, Stewart, quarterback, hey, all right now. And so Speedy was about to say, no, 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 no. And where we live in today, man, you got to keep your vest on. Yeah, work is full duty. We just yeah. don't know, you know, anything can happen. So he's for safety reasons, keep your vest on. So he kept his vest on and he smoked that kid. But uh, yeah, after, after, after that, the kid had a term and the kid ran a route and the kid smoked Speedy, mm. you know, and uh, he didn't catch the ball, but he smoked Speedy, you know. And so afterwards we sat and we chit chatted and learned about, you know, what he wanted to do, um, you know, when he grew up and found out that the kid didn't really have cliques and stuff like that. And so we worked it out and got him some brand new cleats. No under Armour pair. Yes, some brand new cleats, Under Armour pair and a pair of Nikes. And from my, I don't play uh, football. So but from what I understand, Speedy, these are like top of the line cliques. So, nice. you know, and yeah, so so some new cleats, man. And, you know, it was just good. Just found out that the kid lived not too far from the park. So, you know, a few days later, we, uh, you know, we pulled up on him and, um, you know, met his uncle and uh, Speedy talked to his mom. And, you know, we really build the relationship and trying to work to get the kid into uh, um, a football camp, yeah. you know, a football training camp. So those little things right there, man, just offer, a, you know, pure, genuine interaction with, you know, people in the park. And I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> we went to the park a couple of days later and it was some grown men, one with a Townsend football shirt on. Uh, from Townsend University and a few other that had the footballs out there, and I think they wanted to they, they, they wanted to run some run some plays, but he yeah. was like, "Man, I don't have no cleats. It's not happening today." <laughs> but but that was community policing, man. That, was, that is community policing. That is incredible. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that's what we do every single day, man. Just going out there and connecting to the people and in in conversation, trying to find um. You find out what people need, man, and build a rapport in, 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 in as little amount of time as possible with somebody and finding a common interest for us to meet and have a sensible conversation about, you know, what can make the community better, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. that's the real change. That's, that, you know, I truly believe that that's what will cause real change is yeah. being involved and taking the time that's that's you know it's the whole proactive versus reactive element. You're you're being proactive yeah. in creating relationships, and uh, yeah. there's no you know even if that kid makes some poor choices, yeah. there's going to be such a better relationship if he ever gets arrested or whatever. It's not the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No, it's not. It's not. He's not the bad guy. But the thing that I knew for me, because I had a tough childhood, especially especially when I was a, a teenager, um, being a teenager, you know, I got in trouble a few times, but like I said, my uncle had stepped up and showed me that there was something different. You know, yeah. he showed me that, you know, waking up at five o'clock in the morning and going to work and coming home and getting a check, I could do everything that I seen in the mu music vi videos without committing crime. And that's what it really came down to because um, in my opinion, you know, the chains and the boats and the trips and the girls and the pools and the cars, <laughs> they, they, they subliminally send these messages in certain, certain music to make you believe that the only way for you to get this is to live this particular type of lifestyle of this bad guy, and right. cheap system. And, and, you know, that's what was, that's what was, that's what I seen and knew growing up as a kid until my uncle stepped in and said, hey, no, man, you can get up every single morning 
and you can get this and not look over your shoulder and you can keep it. Just yeah. work hard. Keep working hard. And those are the examples that we don't have enough of in the community. So, yeah. yeah. So you are, um, I'm, I imagine work is a little stressful, uh, a little higher tension than normal right now. Um, how is that in your area? You said you're in Washington, D.C. area. So yeah. likely uh, peaceful protests going on, which is great. Probably some unpeaceful stuff you probably dealt with. Um, how's it been? Man, it's stressful. I had a kid to pull up on me on a, on a scooter. And I was on a mountain bike because I like being close to the community. I don't want to mm -hmm. sit in the car and, and waste gas and, you know, you know, right. ride around and keep my window closed up. So I was on a mountain bike. Kid was on a scooter. The kid was 23 years old, pulled up on me and said, hey, also, how many black people do you have to kill in order to get a police car? Oh, my. I said, Good. I said, what? And mind you, this was this was a biracial kid. Uh, you know, I later found mm -hmm. out that he was he was you know mixed black and white, but you know, he had dreads and other things. And so his his the culture that he was displaying, in my opinion, was more black than it was white. You know, and yeah. that's just what he was displaying. And so I say, um, and uh, you know, what you mean? You know, he said, well, I said, how many? And he had this tone, the same tone. How many black? people do you have to kill to get a car see you on a bike and so i gave it back to him i said well you on a scooter how many black people do you have to kill to get in the car or to get a car you know he said, well what do you mean i said well the same thing you mean you know and so we had this long drawn out conversation and at the end of the conversation what i had to get him to understand and have enough patience you know and had enough patience and controlling my tone to explain to him and you can't group like for any particular job. You can't, it's not good to group an uh, entire group of employees the same way because you see one do something bad. Right. You know, right. you know, and, uh, you know, we, we had a long conversation. It was kind of hurtful because I could tell that all he was doing was uh, um, repeating what he, you know, was hearing from news media or other YouTube videos about what he thought and really had no idea for himself, you know, what things really were. So, you know, he said, well, no, nah, I can never be the police. And that really hurt that he felt that he could never be the police because it's people like him that we 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 need. Like, you're, you're biracial, for one, and for two, you're 23, and you, you, you have an opportunity to make a difference, but you don't think that you can make a difference, and you don't have enough. I told him, I said, man, you, you have to have courage. Because if you can get in and you can be what you think that the people that have the job currently aren't, that's the courage that we need. So, you know, for everybody that says something bad about somebody that does a job, before you speak bad about them, step in their shoes and say, can I do that job? Or how easy or how, how good will I be at doing that job? Right. People don't do that often enough. And, you know, the young man accept me, so upset me about that. So the job is stressful because... You can literally have somebody to pull up on a bike, you know, a scooter and feel worse than that and not have a conversation with me and may just want to harm me, you know. Yeah. And so the tension is, is that much more, you know, that much more increased because, you know, people aren't thinking for themselves. They aren't being reasonable. They aren't taking the time to step into the next person's shoes or whatever job that they uh, have, you know, to see what 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 they would do if, if it was them. So. Yeah, it's a yeah. stressful thing, man. It is a very stressful. I, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't imagine. And and um, I mean, it's already a high tension position. You, your job is difficult. You yeah. you know, you have to be on alert. You have to be prepared. And now you have this um, uh, a little bit of a probably like people are seeing me as the enemy. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Your approach to me sounds like it's it's just trying to relate and and having conversations one person at a time. Um, one person at a time. Yep. How are, how do you have uh, do you have many um, coworkers that are white working with you? Yeah, funny enough. So I have two uh, two coworkers that are white that work directly with me. Mm -hmm. um, and both one of them is thirty. And the other ones, he's older than me. He's probably maybe uh, close to 50, you know, you know, late 40s. And um, you get two different things from them. And the two different things that you get from them 
from what I get from them is uh, for for the one that's uh, 47 or so, he's just like, this is pure ignorance and bull and, and just bull. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is ignorance and bull. It's like, you know, and people aren't thinking. So he's upset, but he's calm spirit. He's upset right. by it, but he's calm spirit and he's well thought, you know. And so when I have conversations with him about what he thinks, it's just that, you know, like, yo, what do you think? You know, and, and he'll tell me. And some stuff I agree with and then other stuff, you know, I don't. But he's so well thought that he listens. Mm-hmm. You know, he listens to my side. And then the guy that's 30, he um, he came from a town in Ohio. Right. Yeah. And his he and I conversations. He's like, I always wanted to be the police. He's one of those. He's one of those kids. <laughs> I say mm-hmm. kids because he's, he's just a few years younger than me. And we always talk about it because when we ride in a bike. He'll do 20 miles and I may do eight. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then he still wants to go some more. Right. But, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, what do you think about what's going on? Man, it's stupid. It's ignorant. But he still has a lot of learning to do. Um, yeah. One time I tell you, we um, we were on, um, we, we were out and this guy was backing up his truck in the park. And in backing up, the person had some headphones on that was sitting on the bench. or well, not on the bench, but it was kind of like a brick wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um. The guy was yelling, hey, you know, get out the way, get out the way. And so, you know, uh, my coworker, um, he says, uh, hey, get out of the way. So, you know, his tone was just kind of like, almost like get the F out of the way. Right. You know, I mean, he yeah. might as well have said that because that right. was his tone. And I said to him, I said, hey, 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 slow down a little bit. One, the person has headphones on. Two, you in a stone throw away from him. So you're on a bike, ride over to him and politely, you know. Uh, uh, tap him on the shoulder or get in front of him and say, hey, this truck is trying to back up. You can't see him. You know, move out of the way. So those things like that just, you know, um, it just comes with, uh, you know, having patience and understanding that what you say and how you say it affect people, you know, that he hasn't gotten yet. But that takes for somebody in front of him to train him or be able to have that conversation with him, you know, because, you know, it's it's a difference in in placement too. You know, earlier you, you mentioned um, that you lived in, um, you know, a suburb. Yeah. And so policing in the suburb or policing in Ohio, where my coworkers from, is totally different, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I would be nervous about, and I tell him all the time, I say, his name's Tommy. I say, Tommy, I'd be nervous about policing in Ohio, yo. Like, you know, you used to raise chickens and, you know, you know about cattle and farming and stuff like that. People drive trackers, they may have shotguns and that's just common for them, you know? But it's not common for me in Washington, D.C. to see somebody ride around on a tractor or in a car, truck or not, you know, with a shotgun. It just comes with just different notions. So I'd have to adjust to the lay of the land, the culture, how things move in that way to see what's, you know, mm-hmm. what's acceptable and what's not. And so I would have to, I would be pressed to ride with you. Tommy, I would probably want to ride with you for at least two years, man. Just to, to right. understand, it's like, you know, when you go and move to a different state, it takes you some time to get accustomed, accustomed to the language, the slang, what people are saying, how people move, how people react to things, you know? So it's the same way with policing and the thing with policing and why it's important for people to live or have some type of attachment to the neighborhood is because if they do, then it's just, it, it, it creates for time to set in for them to actually get to understand how things work, how the wheels turn in that neighborhood or, or suburb or, or where it is. So, you know, yeah. that's just my approach on policing, but you know, I love them both. And, and, and when we put the uniform on, it's no difference. It's, they right. call it a blue line, you know, yep. it's no difference between uh, white and black, but that, let's not get it twisted because I do have those coworkers that look for trouble. And when I say look for trouble, and that's not that's not just uh, white guys. It's black guys that are sometimes riding with the white guys that look for trouble. Yeah. And see, but my approach to uh, fighting crime is not to, I mean, that's my, my personal approach is not, I mean, I don't go looking for trouble, man. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's just not me. If somebody is careless enough to uh, commit a crime and not know, um, you know, how to commit the crime, then they dumb. They probably shouldn't have tried that. And I probably caught them with, with little to no effort, you know? 
Right. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, I just, I'm just not one of those type of officers that go looking for trouble. But yeah. we do have those officers that do. And sometimes when they do, you know, you know, bad things happen because they actually oh, yeah. go in with the wrong. They go with they go in with the wrong intent, you know, and intentions, you know, that's, that's a whole nother story. You know, you go in with a, a certain intent, you know, trying to control something or do something. And, you know, you may be angry from you know, whatever happened earlier that day or, you know, and you got to leave all that stuff at home and just, you know, just get to the business and remind yourself what your, your true cause is. And that's to protect people. One of the things that I told uh, both, um, both of those uh, white officers was that I understand and I appreciate you for being on the blue line with me and showing up for the innocent black people in the community that you really have no attachment to, mm. you know, because mm-hmm. that takes courage. Yeah. You know, that takes courage because I don't know for sure that I would show up. You know, I don't, I don't know for sure that many people will show up for innocent people that are getting shot at or maybe laying dead in the middle of a block and have no attachment to you. You took a job to show up for innocent people that you have no personal attachment to. Right. You know? Yeah, and that that takes courage. The same thing that the military, when the military go and and fight for our freedom here in the United States, for us to be able to operate and move how we move, I take my hat off to those guys and girls over there, you know, across seas, you know, for mm-hmm. across seas or even in the waters off our coast for keeping us safe. You know, I I don't remember, I don't ever remember in my lifetime hearing the story of Somalian pirates pulling up on the coast of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Right. And taking taking over the land, and it's because right. those men and women, and our armed services that you know provide that protection for us, you know. And so I don't think that we think that small about how big of a deal their job is, you right. know. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I your your attitude is so incredible, and um, something that that maybe you can help me with the I've, I've been searching for the answers is a uh i'm a white man who grew up in a white community i do not feel like uh i'm, I'm kind of switching gears here so mm-hmm. i do That's not cool. i do not feel like i'm a, a racist i don't feel mm-hmm. you know but what i've been hearing is the the white privilege and these things and i don't i i honestly have really been thinking a lot about this i don't have the right to even announce whether I have that or not, because would I even know? Um, what's your view on that? And I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just trying right. to learn. So on privilege. So um, I struggle with the idea of privilege often, and just on uh, so on the surface level, the first thing that I struggle with about privilege is 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 this here. So my my uncle, like I told you, he stepped up, right? Yep. And he did an awesome job with, with, with uh, guiding me and giving me examples. But what he didn't do that he did for his children, I would say all four of his biological children, was he afforded them the opportunity to go to college, bought them cars, got them clothes and shoes and everything else under the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he refers to me as his son, and I refer to him as my pops but I didn't get those same privileges. I still got student loans. Right. You know? Yeah. And so that's the first, that's the first surface for me when, when we consider privilege, you know? And so then you take it a step further. I have friends who parents or who grandparents left them a hundred thousand dollars and a plot of land, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to kind of get started on, on life. And I know for me, just understanding what that could I imagine what that could feel like understanding that I had a safety net, you know? Right. You know, I got a safety net, you know, I can focus really on being creative and writing songs or writing books. And I don't have to really feel like I have to clock in every single day and clock out every single day. And so that's another level of privilege that's not really uh, spoken about, you know, but then if you continue to go, it all started from 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 somewhere and when you're talking about privilege or the idea of white privilege for uh 
black people, in my opinion, their ideal thought or their frustration may come from the fact that their um, ancestors or their, uh, you know, their parents or grandparents didn't do enough to make life easier for them, Mm. you know? And so that becomes frustrating to look over and know that somebody else is white, Hispanic, or whatever other race that you could think about, Iranian, the list goes on. Their parents were responsible enough and the grandparents are responsible enough to work hard to make life easier for them. Right now, I'm writing books, I'm working endless hours, I'm selling houses, I'm writing songs to make life easier so that my kids can have the privilege that I know exists. Oh. You know, the privilege to uh, to think freely and have more creativity because they don't have to worry about the next time that they're going to get paid kind of give them a cushion or that safety net so that they can actually really focus on whatever craft that is. Even if they want to be an Olympian, they want to be an Olympian. Now I got the money to say, Hey, okay, cool. Look, go study for a year, train, mm-hmm. be an Olympian. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. those are the, the privileges that, you know, I think that we talk about. And then, you know, when people say privilege, it all depends on how you say it. Because, you know, if I say, Oh, you got privilege, man, then, then that means that I'm, I'm, I'm in some sense telling you that you're better than me and I'm telling you that, you know, I feel slighted or some type of way, but it's okay to have privilege. If people work hard or their, their ancestors knew to work hard or the playing field was fair or whatever it may be. But I mean, in my opinion, it, it exists, you know, and it exists from the little, the lowest level as possible. Like I explained between, mm-hmm. you know, my uncle and his, and his children, you know, there, there are differences. If everything was the same, then, you know, I think life would be pretty boring, but you know, they're not. Things are different, and in differences, there are things that are better, and there are things that are less better. Yeah, I'm speaking. I don't know. Has that has that ever been explained like that? No, no, <laughs> um, it hasn't. And it, but it, I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, I but I, but I don't want to be naive to um, opposing views. You know, it's yeah, like definitely. I just I want to be as sensitive and. Uh, understanding as I can. Uh, I don't want to be punished for something that possibly I didn't have a choice for, but I, but I also need to to work to understand. And that's really, through all of this, this turmoil that we're going through that, that's really where I'm coming from. Yeah. And that's the, that's the problem that I think we have is, so I would never punish any of my cousins who are like brothers and sisters to me for having privilege that I didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, and I will be wrong to speak ill of them because they had privilege. I was wrong to think less of them. Like, oh, y'all ain't strong because you had privilege. No, you're just as strong as me. We made it the same cloth. It's okay. You know, in my opinion, I had to work a little harder. But we always think that of ourselves. You know, we could be running the race side by side, like Twins Adventures and the Race with Officer Friendly. We could be towing the line, you know, and we all could give our best. And I look over and say, oh, man, you had you had hours of more to practice than I did. And, you know, it's, it's all subjective. So, yeah. no, nobody should feel should make should be made to feel uh, or made to be feel made to feel like they should be punished for having privilege because, you know, yeah, that's just I mean, it happens. And people don't know enough about history, man. Like anytime somebody of. Uh, and this is the bit that I know, and in my, my opinions, anytime somebody takes over, uh, you know, a land, whether it's war or whatever, they, they control the land, they control the people, and in, in that, they the benefits of war, you know? That's what it is, you know what I'm saying? And so the person that's trying to get back on top, you know, they have to work that much harder. That's just how it goes. You lose a race today, you got to go back to the drawing board, you know, and run and run and run and run until you get good enough to win the race the next day and it's okay you yeah. know one day you'll win you know and that doesn't make the person that beat you any any less of a person they just you know they just won at that point you know yeah i think like um i was listening to someone's story the other day and he said i grew up in like i had nothing nothing and um and he said my mom had nothing and which, but what she told me is like, life is lit is not fair. Like it's just never going to be fair. Not everyone is coming from 
the same experiences or the same opportunities, but you have just, you have the opportunity to either like shrink down and just embrace that life's not fair or not embrace it, but wallow in it and kind of yeah. keep on, or you can climb above and just like embrace the fact that it isn't fair and go get it. And he went and got go it. Get and it. The dude is, that's it. He's, he's dude, very he's doing well. His thing. <laughs> oh man. That's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah. And I like this. I like to see that because when they say the sky's the limit, the sky's is really the limit. It's just yeah. how much you want to, it's how much, how much you're willing to put into it. People are lazy and people are entitled and people are uh, selfish. And yeah. I just said three things and all those three things are very different, but that's pretty much the makeup of what things are, yeah. you know, go and get it. It's there, you know, right. Go and get it. It's there. I've always wanted a boat and I've always wanted a pool and I've always wanted a, uh, a convertible. Never thought for a second that I'd be able to get it. But my first thought was, I got a convertible. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right on. So I, I never thought that I'd be able to get it, but I kept working hard. I saw what the mark was and I kept inch by inch, inch by inch. I, I worked, I, I worked to get it. You know what I mean? And that's nothing more than what anybody's parents did before me. Mm. You know, everybody, I mean, you can go back as long as you want to, but everybody's parents, my parents, parents, my grandparents, parents, the list go on. And the same for you at some point, somebody in your lineage did something to gain something great to be able to pass on and if the buck starts at me okay cool let's go i'm putting the work love it you know what i mean yeah you know that's it you know yeah so. you said something that i i have um i learned from an author that uh i love really much a lot and it's the he says the buck stops here you are responsible for everything that happens in your life stop blaming other people the buck stops yep. here like you get fired from your job even if your boss hated you from the get-go you still had something to do with it like yeah. no matter what and and the, it's not the it's not to prove that i'm doing something wrong it's to prove it's it's the thought of like i have ultimate control over how i'm going to let that affect my future yeah. i'm going to accept it and learn from it and move forward and gain and that sounds kind of like what you're saying it's like that's it. Go get it. <laughs> Go get it. That's it. That's all. Let's Man, so that's it. You yeah. know what's cool? My, my, my uncle goes on trips now. I feel good when I tell him, oh, I've already been there. Oh, I'm about to go there now. He, I know somewhere that he's trying to go and he's going to take, you know, the rest of the family. Uh, okay, cool. I've been there. Yeah, let me Thanks. tell you about oh, that. Look, try this out. Check that. Yeah, check this out. Check that out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But it feels so rewarding to know that you work for something and you got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't handed to you. And guess what? At the end, you know, setting up your kid to have that same mindset as a father to 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 have the same energy of work ethic yep. and go get it. Continue to build your family wealth and your family empire just one step at a time, you know, one kid at a time, you know? Yeah. 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 Man, I'm inspired. Um, I, we need more fathers and more police officers like you, my man, like just, yeah. And so, um, I've got a few things I want to cover before we wrap this up. First of all, I need you, I'm going to, I'm going to put this all in the show notes, but how can okay. people find all this great stuff that you've done? Um, your books, I know they're on Amazon. Um, so, so, and your music you said were, was everywhere. So give us the, the lowdown. Okay, so uh, for my books, um, Sankofa, Barnes and Noble, Politics and Pros, um, Amazon, Amazon Prime. I mean, they can come in two days. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for that, and um, for the music, um, you know, uh, look me up on YouTube. Uh, put the name of the song, Good Papa, or God Bless the Mother in, and you can catch the video on YouTube for both of those uh, singles. And they're also on uh, Google Play. Um, Spotify, um, iTunes, and the name of those songs is Good Papa and God Bless the Mother. And so the three books that are out now, and they are the first three of a series of six books. And this first series of books is six books, and we have three out so far. 
the next one that I'm working on is going to be amazing. I can't even reveal the secrets to it. Oh, but if you don't have the first three, <laughs> then you behind uh, the ball. So get the first three because the next one, the fourth one is supposed to be coming out uh, this December in time for the holidays and stuff. So people can have oh, something cool. to do. You know, fathers can have something something else wonderful to do with their kids, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. And uh, you can also find me on uh, Instagram okay. um, at uh, so underscore by underscore tape and um on facebook at hakeem the golden child um tape and i don't even get into the golden child they say everything that i touch is golden but that's just uh, <laughs> that's what they say that's what they say i'm okay i'm a hard worker let's remember that <laughs> that's, that's where the golden type comes from it's from the hard work that's it. The yeah, hard bud. Work. so yeah you can find me on facebook that way that's incredible so one more question um what is your parenting super superpower? Parenting superpower is a uh, patience and listening. Oh, important. Yeah. Yep. Did you always have those or did you have to work hard for them? I had to work hard for those because, right. you know, I live in a generation of microwave. We want it now mm -hmm. and fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we want things to happen that way. So I had to work on patience and I had to work on listening. But sometimes being a father, we think we know it all, and sometimes the kid may be trying to tell us what they know, and it can be right. So, you know, listening was one of those important things that I had to pick up on. So, yeah, superpower now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Hakeem, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, listening to your inspiring words, your stories, and um, I would, I would recommend uh, just from this forty-five minute talk or hour talk, whatever it's been, that everybody get in touch with your materials. I think um, you you have a lot to say and it's extremely important. And thank you for that very much. I appreciate that, man. And if you guys want to continue the conversation, inbox me, find me on Facebook or IG and um, we can continue to talk. Let's go. Our Father, who was in heaven. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast with Hakeem. We think that you probably really enjoyed this episode. We wanted to thank Hakeem for his honesty and filling us in on the things going on in, in his community as well as his perspective on the current events. And we would really appreciate if you would subscribe to this podcast. There's a little button on whatever system you're using to listen to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't done so already, go to Facebook and follow the Brotherhood of Fatherhood page. If you're a man, you can actually join our group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, where we have all sorts of great content, information, men are asking questions, getting advice, uh, some great resources for you. We are passionate about getting men in a better place as fathers. If you consider yourself somebody who needs a lot of work, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Josh. It's Scott Brotherhood of Fatherhood or Scott at BrotherhoodFatherhood.com or Josh at BrotherhoodFatherhood.com or you can DM us through Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to have a chat with you. Thank you. And as a father, invest more than a few years, maybe more than 21. Because as a man at 21, manhood had just begun. Just get